the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome. Or welcome back. This is Gino Geraci. The number to call is 303-873-1935. The program, it's called Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. And, of course, I'm your host, Gino Geraci. And we're here to talk about the things you care the most about. We talk about God. We talk about the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about worldviews and world religions. So if it has something to do with the Bible, whether it's uh, the people in the Bible or the prophecies in the Bible, um, we talk about it. So again, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me Shoo, excuse me, on the program, 303-873-1935. We were talking a little bit about the um, man who was charged with a misdemeanor crime that has now maybe being elevated to a um, a felony charge of a hate crime. And some of the implications of that. And we were talking about the person who made the claim for destroying the satanic statue in the Capitol Rotunda in the state of Iowa because he really did make a very basic statement, Satanism, bad. Satanism is evil and wicked and wrong and shouldn't really have a place in a government capital rotunda. Now, what's interesting to me is that when you think about Satanism and the Satanic Temple, which organized the uh, event, if you will, or the the, the statue in the capital rotunda, um. Satanism comes in a lot of different varieties and divisions. So Satanists themselves disagree on their very fundamental principles, which I find interesting. Christians differ in opinion or conviction about the meaning, the interpretation, and certainly uh, the application. So do Christians differ on the meaning of certain Bible verses? The answer is yes. The interpretation and the application, the answer is yes. But Christians, by and large, believe in foundational principles. Now, for many, many people, essential Christianity or foundational Christianity, they disagree even with that. For instance, is Jesus God's son? Well, the answer is yes. Is Jesus God? There are many, many people who think that Jesus is not God or he's a lesser God. Now, again, according to essential 
what I'm going to call orthodox essential Christianity, Jesus is in fact God. He pays the price for our sin. He dies on the cross for our sins. He rises from the dead to prove his identity. Satanists argue among themselves whether Satan even exists. Now pause and think about that for just a moment. There are so some so-called lapsed atheists or secularists who may identify civilizationally as a Christian because they're not Muslim or atheist or agnostic, but they don't really believe the historical Jesus ever lived, died, and, or maybe they do, maybe they don't. So when we're talking about foundational principles, Satanists argue whether or not Satan even exists. And when you're worshiping Satan, are you really worshiping yourself? So if I were to put it in a nutshell, Satanists are a confused group of people who are bound together by lies. And Jesus seems to support that idea. In John chapter 8, verse 44, when he's talking to the religious leaders who claim to be the children of God and the children of Abraham, Jesus says in John chapter 8, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So pause and think about what Jesus is saying. He's accusing the self-proclaimed, self-identifying Jews who participate in lying as Satanists. And the way he defines a Satanist is you are of your father, you belong to, to your father, the devil, because you want to carry out your father's desire. Now, isn't this interesting? Because according to Jesus, a Satanist is anyone who wants to carry out Satan's desires. Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. He's bilingual in the sense that he can tell a certain kind of truth in order to further his lies. But Jesus refers to him as a liar and the father of lies. And it's because of these lies that there's a plethora of ideologies within Satanism. Some of Satanism's practices are constant, and Satanists' unity is usually found in their rituals more than in their underlying belief system. Satanists do certain things. They don't have to believe certain things. Now, what's interesting to me about that is Satan, Satanists have at least one thing in common with cultural Christians 
who do certain things, but they don't necessarily believe certain things. So imagine a Christian has their infant baptized to remove mortal sin, but they don't really believe there is such a thing as original or mortal sin. Christians do things traditionally, culturally. Some Christians, not all Christians. Dare we make the mistake, a category mistake, of lumping all Satanists together or making statements like some Satanists or most Satanists. But let's just, for purposes of discussion, talk a little bit about it. There are Satanists who are devil worshipers, or they call themselves diabolists, Luciferians, members of the Church of Satan. They claim to have their roots in Anton LaVey and and LaVeyan Satanism, which is named after Anton LaVey, who was the author of the Satanic Bible and the founder of the First Church of Satan. And he presumably started the First Church of Satan in 1966 as a self-proclaimed authority on everything evil. He began giving lectures at a cost of $2 per person. And the Church of Satan was born. Fast forward to 2023, statues placed in the Iowa Capitol, and a young man faces a serious charge that might cost him five years in prison. 303-873-1935, that's my number if you want to join me on the program. Hey, if you'd like to join me on the program... It's 303-873-1935. Always happy to have you listen. And if you want to join in the conversation, it's 303-873-1935. I've been talking about Satanism and um, and the fact that Satanism is difficult to define and it's difficult to make a statement or a blanket statement about what constitutes uh, essential doctrine for Satanists. But the basic commonality in all the branches of Satanism is a kind of exaltation or a promotion of self. And in the prophecies concerning the last days, there's several prophecies um, about the world. It talks about all kinds of symptoms that come upon the world, including um, self-seeking and pleasure-seeking in Second Timothy chapter 3, um, men minus a conscience in First Timothy chapter 4, religious hucksters in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 3. And then there seems to be this incredible what seemed like crazy idea of outright devil worshipers. But it's spoken of in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, in Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through through 14. And so, um, so is it shocking 
yes and no. In Satanism, with the worship, promotion, elevation of the self, all forms of Satan Satanism claim that life exists to consume and that selfishness is a virtue. So in their way of broadly thinking, it is a theology and a philosophy based on satisfaction, consumption. And remember, in their worldview, selfishness is a virtue. And so some Satanists hold that the only existence they will ever know is here on the earth. And so in their way of thinking, some people might think they're conflicted Satanists, that they deny the reality of, of hell. Now, what's interesting to me is, again, the growing group of so-called Christians who deny the reality of hell. It wasn't very long ago that even the current pope of the Roman Catholic Church, he didn't say that he changed the Roman Catholic Church's doctrine on hell but he did a thought experiment that he shared with a number of people. And the thought experiment was, what if hell is empty? Now, what's interesting about the Pope's thought experiment is that hell is empty if you define hell as the permanent place of punishment for those in rebellion against God. But if you define hell as the grave, or if you define hell as a... The word I'm going to use is temporary place of punishment. Then it might be peopled by with a lot of people. So is there a place of the unrighteous dead? Is there a place for even Satanists, for what they would refer to themselves as um, followers of Satan? So again, do all Satanists believe in a, a literal devil? No. Do all Satanists believe in a literal hell? No. But what most Satanists, if I could use that term, believe is that satisfaction in the moment, gluttony and debauchery and self-satisfaction should be without restraint. That's their view. So imagine, imagine, imagine they erect a statue in the Capitol grounds of Iowa and a spokesperson comes up and says, what are your deeply held beliefs? What might they say? And how do those beliefs align with the state of Iowa? So Satanism pledges its allegiance to Satan. Now, in Iowa, I think they salute the flag. They say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. I wonder if someone might argue that we have to change it to God's. One nation under G, 
small G-O-D-S or one nation under self. So even while some in the Church of Satan believe that there's no God and there's no devil, most people in the Church of Satan also believe that there's no Redeemer for them or for anyone else. That each person is fully responsible for their own path, their own life. But they pray to Satan in rituals. They ask for his sovereign hand to be manifest in their lives. This kind of thinking reveals the influence of the lies and the deceptions of their philosophy. Because, again, when you use the term sovereign, we typically use it to describe a place where either a person or a government is in control but whether Satanists believe in him or not is irrelevant to Satan. The end result is the same. The souls in bondage to him, unless God's grace intervenes, unless they hear and respond to the gospel, unless they believe the gospel, unless they turn from their sin and believe in Jesus, they will experience an eternity in hell. So in short, Satanism may or may not involve worshiping Satan, but it is a conscious effort to not worship the true and the living God. And so in that sense, in Romans chapter 1, it gives us a clear look into the heart of Satan. So, Producer Jim, how much time do I have? Two minutes. Oh, should I should I hold this person over? Or g- All right. So, 303-873-1935. And, uh, yeah, happy to take your calls. I might be talking a little bit more about the prophecies concerning the last days, you know, because the Bible obviously speaks of wars and rumors of wars, ex- materialism, lawlessness, a population explosion, increase in speed and knowledge, um, departure from the Christian faith, intense demonic activity. It's almost like a, like a laundry list, uh, a, uh, a guide to, to see the layers that are being built up. But in second, in second Peter chapter two, it contains a warning to anyone who would follow after Satan or anything other than the true and the living God. It says these men are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful nature, they entice people who are just, escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are the slaves of depravity. That's what the Satanist has to look forward to. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Daniel, welcome to the program. 
Uh, yeah, uh, Gino, I told you about three weeks ago I had insight into uh, the vice president of the United States, the next vice president of the United States, and there's like, you know, everybody's jockeying for position, and it's kind of sad, but I do, my family has uh, ties to uh, Washington, D.C., uh, my nephew, Daniel John, who graduated Air Force Academy, and he flew Air Force Two, took Pence, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Trump's wife, down to Mar-a-Lago. Mar and uh, I, I, I feel like uh, I need to share a little bit more tomorrow at 5.30. But uh, I'll check with you. I love you. Stay up strong. Rigatoni rules. Bye-bye. <laughs> Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. I have no idea what that was all about, but if you want to join me on the program, it's three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. That's the number. If you want to join me on the air, we've been talking about a lot of different things, but I wanted to return to a story about um, that that has a local implication. Now, many of you remember uh, it was a few weeks back that I, um, that I talked with um, the, the attorney who was representing a family whose uh, daughter was placed in a so-called compromising situation with a boy, a biological boy. And it seems crazy that I have to even use these terms and who is placed with their daughter. Well, there's another story. Parents are, are suing uh, a school district for allegedly transitioning daughter in secret. Um, and so the idea is they were lying to the parents and so th this is the great big idea. The big idea before the courts and the school system is do you get to, well, lie? Do, do, do schools and children get to participate in lying to parents? So a, a group of Michigan parents are suing um, a public school over the claim that district employees began socially transitioning their daughter without their consent and purportedly concealing these efforts in the process. So Jan, Dan and Jennifer Mead have sued the Rockford Public School District in Michigan with the parents telling CBN and posted at faithwire.com that the case shows the troubling ways that parental rights are being undermined and upended. And while they were working with the school closely to address the daughter's academic needs in regards to her autism, it came to their attention that the school was actively deceiving and hiding from them the fact that they were transitioning their daughter from being a girl to a boy. Now, pause and think about that, using boys' pronouns. And so, and again, to make matters worse, if you will, is their daughter has autism. So now, again, imagine you're on the autistic spectrum or you have autism or you have some sort of developmental disability. Does this mean that an autistic child is more at risk to being seduced, 
And so the parents said that they only became aware of the so-called covert social transitioning after being given paperwork in which they said a school employee had, and I'm quoting them, inadvertently forgotten to change one of those male names and pronouns, unquote. And Jennifer said she initially assumed it was a mistake and that the name and information was applied to somebody else's child. And then upon emailing the school to ask if it was an error, she found it odd that no one responded. And then the parents said this to a CBN. They said, quote, we started to kind of dig a little more and say, well, why would they not respond to an email over important information like this? So the mother said, so once we found out what was really happening, I was in shock and disbelief. And the father, Dan, said he and his wife started to piece together what was happening, and then they were trying to make a plan on how to handle it. They said they found a very explicit book in their daughter's book bag that purportedly came from the school counselor. He said the book contained a story about a homosexual boy trying, well, to coerce the boy into a relationship with him. And that's when the parents realized they needed to take action. So now pause and just think about this horror story. The father said, we had a meeting with the school principal. He said, look, you have to understand this is the school's policy. We're mandated to do this. The desires of the children outweigh those of the parents. And there's not a whole lot we can do in this regard, unquote. So imagine that's your situation. I am just so at the end. So Kate Anderson, she's an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom. The firm representing the Meads said the policies have become pervasive all across the United States of America. Now, it seems to me, Producer Jim, that's who we had on the program, Kate Anderson, because she was also um, representing a local family. But Kate Anderson said, um, quote, you have situations where they're actively hiding that information from parents like they were with the Meads. And then Kate Anderson said, quote, they were actually erasing the male name and male pronouns on documents and replacing it with their daughter's real name and her female pronouns, unquote. The attorney said this is a violation of the United States Constitution as parents have the right to direct the upbringing and education of their kids. Again, pause and think about that. Pause and think about that, that that's even an issue. The United States Constitution, parents have the right to direct the upbringing and education of their children. In the end, Anderson said parents know their children best and have to be included in major decisions like these. A school should never hide information from parents. But that's exactly what they're doing. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Let's let's take a quick call. Bruce, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi. 
Um, quick question. This kind of relates to what's going on over in Israel at the moment. But in the Ten Commandments, it says you don't murder. Correct. And uh, But there's also instances in the Bible where God asks or, well, I guess commands the annihilation of wickedness, which means, so I, I wonder if you could maybe explain how one is not murder, even though I understand God says, go do it. Yeah. If, if you're asking me about why did God order the killing of um, the Amalekites, the violence, you know, why did he seemingly command the genocide of the Canaanites? You know, why yes. Why did God do that? And, and right. I mean, so I you, know part of it is to make way for the coming fire. Yeah, this is a complicated question, so we're going to have to put you on hold. You can hear the music playing. And um, I'll try and give it a stab, okay? No pun intended. This is Gina Drace. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I was talking with uh, Bruce, who had a question about murder, about Gaza, about... um, In Deuteronomy chapter 20, I don't know if he specifically cited that, but... God commanded the Israelites in the cities of the nations of the Lord your God's giving to you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. So how do we think about this and the broader question? And I think the broader question is, well, God does not sanction all the wars that are recorded in the Old Testament. The battles that were a part of the conquest of of Canaan were specifically for a particular time and limited to that particular people group. So if people basically make the statement, God told me to invade Ukraine, God told me to invade Armenia, God told me to uh, invade Australia. There, there doesn't seem to be good, quote-unquote, biblical support that God is telling people to invade other people's countries um, and then kill everybody in that country. So do Muslims have the right to invade countries and kill them? Do uh, people have the right to invade the United States and kill us? So the, w- the way that I would think about it is why would God have the Israelites uh, exterminate a whole people group? And now, obviously, this is a very difficult question. It's also talked about in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 2 and 3, where the Lord uh, told Sa- um, Saul, I've noted uh, what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now remember, the source comes from God. And and somebody might say, well, what kind of God would do that? Well, the God of the Bible 
seems to know what he's doing. Now, again, before we look at the reasons given in the Scripture, uh, again, um, the Israelites weren't given free reign to slaughter everyone they met. Consider the following. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 10, it says, the standard procedure for uh, battling a city was to extend terms of peace. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 10, it says, when you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. So it begins not with extermination. It begins with an offer of peace. If the terms are accepted, the people of the city live and they become servants to Israel, verse 11. If the terms are rejected, the city's besieged, the men are killed, the women and the children are spared, according to verses 12 through 14. So attacking a city within Canaan called for different rules and represented an exception to the standard. So God didn't sanction all of the wars. The battle that that were a part of the conquest of Satan were intended for that time, those people. So the war sanctioned by God beyond the time of Joshua were defensive in nature. A number of the battles that Israel fought on the way in and within Canaan were also defensive in nature. There's lots of examples. But some of the reasons that seem apparent, according to the Scripture, for commanding the annihilation of the people group, it was, number one, to judge the Canaanites for their abominations. The Canaanites were a brutal and wicked culture that were engaged in despicable, decadent behavior. In Leviticus 18, it provides a list of all the sins that Israel was to avoid at all costs. Incest, child sacrifice, homosexuality, bestiality. Now pause and think about that. The Lord says, Israel, incest, child sacrifice, homosexuality, bestiality. uh, These are all sins practiced by the people of Canaan. He says in Leviticus 18, This is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. All these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled, Leviticus chapter 18, verses 24 through 27. So does God care about what people do? And are there certain things like incest, child sacrifice, homosexuality, and bestiality where the Lord goes, we're done here? So in ordering the destruction of the Canaanites, God enacts a form of corporate capital punishment on a people that's been deserving of God's judgment for a very long time. And then remember in Genesis 15, God gave the Canaanite people not 10 years, not 100 years, not 200 years, not 300 years, but 400 years to repent, according to Genesis chapter 15. And then judgment day came. And God could have used any means to destroy the Canaanites. He could have had a meteorite come from outer space. He could have had a plague or any number of genocidal, life-ending ways to deal with the people. Now, this is what's the rub, that God chose the Israelites as the instruments of his judgment. And so there are many people who would say, well, that God doesn't seem fair. 
and the instrument that he used doesn't seem right. So the method not only rid the world of evil in a deeply depraved society, it also, again, made a ready-made home for God's people, the, the Jews, the Hebrews. And again, remember, the people in the land, they don't want to leave. And they are going to have to leave. And so to judge them, to, to stave off idolatry and compromise, that's another reason in Deuteronomy chapter 20, um, immediately after God commanded the Canaanites to be completely wiped out, God gave the reason. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 18, he said, Otherwise, they will teach you to follow the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 18. So imagine you're living in a culture that says, Hey, you know what? Incest, perversion, homosexual behavior, no problem. Everyone should do it. Now remember, 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 the Canaanites were being judged for incest, child sacrifice, homosexuality, bestiality. And so one of the reasons that he gives is, this is not for you. So the reason for the extermination was to prevent religious compromise, spiritual adultery. But I'm also going to suggest cultural purity, if you want to use that term. If the Israelites left survivors, the sin of idolatry would follow. And the Israelites failed in their mission, by the way. They didn't obey God. And so another reason was to prevent future problems. God knows the future, and these people will be a problem. And then to fulfill the curse on Canaan, centuries before Moses' command to eradicate the Canaanites, Noah cursed one of Ham's sons. Cursed be Canaan, he said, the lowest of slaves he'll be to his brothers. So the most difficult part of the commandment, it would seem is what do you deal, how do you explain the innocence? And that is a more complicated question with a more nuanced answer. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow taking your calls and answering your questions. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.